Good morning, Mercy Road. How you doing this morning? You made it in. Can you give it up to, for Pastor Nate and the weekend team that get all these chairs installed in time? I'm sure it's a learning curve for all of us. Hopefully you got found parking, we're able to check in, and we can't wait to see how God uses this in the future. If you're looking around and like, hey, uh, did we actually get more chairs in here? Believe it or not, there are 148 more chairs than there were last weekend in this room right now. Isn't that crazy? And uh, we still haven't even installed there. You're like, it's very spacious. Well, we, we are going to still install a back row back there, and the, the removable chairs up front aren't in yet as well. And so we'll end up having at least 175 more chairs than previously. And I just want to thank you all so much. Can you give it up to those they gave to the, generously to the Make Room campaign? This was the first leg of that campaign, and we'll talk more about the things to come in the future. But uh, we're excited to kick off our Christmas teaching series this morning called The Missing Peace. I'm going to invite you to power on your Bible or turn in the one uh, that you brought with you to Isaiah chapter 26. And we're going to use the first four verses of Isaiah 26 as the launching pad uh, for this teaching series as we talk about the peace of God. That said, uh, as you're turning there, for those who have a free hand or you're just like, I'm not turning there. I'm going to look at the screens. Uh, will you put your hands together and welcome those who are joining us live online right now? Glad that you're all here from different parts of the world. Those on the West Coast just waking up. Uh, share this. You never know the impact you may make by simply sharing this online. And we can't wait to see how God uses our time together. And you're like, what, what are you talking about chairs this morning? When people walked in here, we have new theater seating this morning as a part of our Make Room uh, campaign. And in fact, uh, for those that are online, uh, thank you for joining us at our new times, 9.30 and 11. And we know that this, uh, these service times aren't forever. Uh, our plan is by August of next, the end of next summer, as we kick off the new school year, we'll go back to three services but with the additional seating, we wanted to do what we could. That said, we have had so many people here this morning. We're going to be assessing all of that heading into January. So uh, be praying because this is not about making everybody's back seats more comfortable. This is about reaching more people in our community who are growing up without the peace of knowing God in their life. And that's what this teaching series uh, is all about. In fact, uh, as we kick this off this morning, before I get into Isaiah chapter 26, I want us to remember that this season is about remembering the Prince of Peace, the one who was given to us in a world that brings chaos and destruction, a peace that surpasses our understanding when we know him. In fact, if you're new to Christianity and the Bible, essentially, Christmas is the time where we remember that God did not give up on humanity. Even though they rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden, they rebelled against him when he sent the prophets, and they rebelled against him time and time again, he didn't give up. He sent his only son, Emmanuel, that we sang earlier, God with us, so that by his atoning sacrifice, he could cover up our sin and wrongdoing so we could be made right with a perfect God and have peace with God. Isn't that incredible? And yeah, thank you, yeah. And, and that means that right now in this room, we believe the Bible teaches that because of the work of Jesus, we have access to the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is with us in a room right now. That should freak you out. Doesn't it freak you? It freaks me out. 
to think about the presence of God with us right here. That's what Christmas is all about. And so we want to look at the missing piece, the puzzle piece in the graphic. The missing piece is the missing piece, spelled differently. You all tracking? That we are missing the peace, P-A-C-E, the peace of God in our life. And that's what we want to look at. So for most of us in American culture today, we look for joy and happiness in our lives by pursuing other things. Maybe it's money. If I get enough money, I will finally be happy. It will bring me peace in my life so I can finally relax and not worry about everything. Some of us, we think that when we finally found that spouse and if they're, you know, attractive enough and we like hanging out with them enough, then we will finally be at peace in this world and be happy. Or for others, you find yourself saying, if I just reach this next goal or accomplishment, or I get this next uh, career promotion, then I will finally be at peace. And the truth is, peace is often missing in our lives because we're missing out on what God has to offer. When Jesus, the announcement of Jesus' birth comes, what do the angels say to the shepherds? They say, glory to God on the highest, and then what? Peace on earth. The very thing that they're announcing Jesus is coming to bring is peace on earth. Have you been experiencing that peace lately? Dude, I'll tell you, in my household, sometimes I wonder if I will ever experience the peace of God. You know, I think that God clearly did not invent uh, phones and technology. Any parents agree with me? I mean, every 30 seconds, can I use your phone? Can I use your phone? No, for the 18th time, you can't use my phone, right? Like, you can never get alone. Some of you, if we're being real for just a second, the only peace you ever experience is when you trek off to the, the bedroom or to the restroom and you close the door and you get on your phone for the next 10 or 15 minutes. Don't act like we don't all know what you're doing in there, right? The reality is we try and find ways to escape, to find a moment of, of peace in our lives, yet God came to bring peace Instead of power and riches and fame, Jesus brought grace and peace, it says. What would your life look like if you experienced the peace of God? Because I know plenty of people who have money in the bank and they have no peace. Plenty of people who are married and have no peace in the home. Plenty of people that have kids but never find the peace in their family that they're desiring. Many of us want peace, but the reality is we experience anxiety and worry and suffering and pain and problems. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know some of you are with me in that. And so how do you have real peace in a world that doesn't want to offer it to you? That brings us to Isaiah chapter 26. See, if you want real peace in life, in Isaiah 26, things in Israelite history, there's been all kinds of war and pain and suffering. And this prophet comes and he tells them that they're going to experience the peace of God. So much peace that they're going to worship him for it. In a season of fear and unsettledness, Isaiah prophesies a day of unbridled worship. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Yeah, come on now. Here's what it says in verse 1 of Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. They don't know what peace is like. Some of you have not experienced the peace of God lately. Things are usually more stressful and overwhelming in your life. And he's saying, hey guys, I know you can't picture it, but there's gonna be so much joy brought that you're gonna sing and worship God for it. What would that look like today in your life? We have a strong city. God makes salvations its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. 
you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. We're going to talk about this and break it down in a moment, but that we find the perfect peace of God when we remain steadfast, or the New Living Translation says we fix our eyes on Jesus, the things of God in our life, because they trust you, the verse ends. Verse four, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Got a question for you, then we're going to pray. As we head into these few weeks leading up to Christmas, where you're going to be worrying about what presents to purchase and getting the lights hung and getting the Christmas tree up and, you know, inviting the family over or going to extended relatives' homes and planning meals and doing different Christmas parties and preschool programs. You know you're going to have like seven of those and you're going to have all these things. Will you experience peace this Christmas? The shalom of God. Will you pray with me? God, first of all, we worship you and we celebrate that we could all be in this space right now, um, that you provided a way for this. And I pray, God, that each chair represents another person that could find eternal peace, eternal salvation, because you really do love us and care for us and pursued us and gave your life for us, Jesus. And I pray that we experience your love and joy and peace here, even this morning. We pause in the busyness of our lives And in this packed out room and the quietness of this moment, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. We thank you that you know our innermost thoughts. We pray that we find healing this morning and we experience your supernatural peace. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's family said, amen, amen. I I don't know what causes you stress in your life, uh, or what you know overwhelms you, makes you anxious. Some of you, you have anxiety all the time. If that's you, you just want to raise your hand. You're a worrier by nature. Okay, the few of you, the real worriers, you didn't raise your hand because you were anxious about what they're going to do if I raise my hand in church. Like the truth is, many of us go through life so frazzled in stress, especially in American culture. We like to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Work hard, and we want to accomplish lots of things, and yet we overwhelm ourselves, and we see burning out. We see anxiety and depression and all kinds, and I believe real mental health issues need to be addressed professionally, absolutely, but I want to acknowledge that many of those things are the antithesis of what God wants us to experience. I've experienced the peace of God in moments where I can't explain it. Small ways. I remember one time I was going out to perform in a play, and I've shared the story before, so I won't go into depth. And, and I remember it was in brand new Christian, and I was like, God, I, I don't know what to do here. I was having a panic attack, and I'm supposed to walk on the stage. And I just I prayed. Rather than you know doing what I'd normally do, which is try and get through it, I prayed. And I actually had to, uh, John Mobley in the lobby right after the first service, after he heard this, gave me this bracelet just to remember this. He, something he's been doing the last two weeks. It says, pray first. It was the first time I had experienced real prayer in my life as a young adult, and I just prayed. And I'm telling you, the supernatural peace of God just began to come over me as I fixed my eyes on him. And then I went out and gave the greatest performance the world has ever seen. <laughs> no, it wasn't that great. It was average at best. But 
I was able to go out and do what I felt like I needed to do. I think sometimes we take for granted the peace that God offers us. And it's really hard to do when you're stressed out. Some of you have very stressful jobs. Some of you work multiple jobs. Some of your cars don't always run properly. Some of you have multiple children in the home. Some of you have grandkids with problems and you don't know how to fix them. Some of your, your kids have gotten older and now they make their own choices and you can't control them anymore. And you just want to freak out and panic. Who's with me? I, for me as a dad, I told you what, what prevents me from experiencing the peace of God is often I don't worry as much about things happening to me as my children. There's this protector nature. And I can remember it started at a young age. I used to wake up uh, every night, the first like five months of uh, our, our first son's uh, life, because I was just panic that he wasn't going to make it. I just remember panic, and I, I, I've never changed that. I can remember when he was three or four years old, and he was no longer a toddler wobbling around, and he'd learn how to run. And I realized he was hard to catch sometimes. And so anytime we would go on a sidewalk, parents, dads out there, you kind of know this thing. Like, you, don't, you no longer just walk freely. You got to grab that arm. And some of you, with your wimpy grips, you just can't handle it. But man, I do that dad grab on the arm and he, he's not gonna run off no matter where he goes. It's like a leash on a pet, right? Only he's a human and I got him. He's not getting away from me because it was stressing me out that something bad might happen. As they got older, by the way, they didn't just frivolously you know, be gone, but you can no longer hold on to a kid's arm as they grow up, can you? They begin to make their own choices. Some of you have teenagers or young adult children allowing them to become their own adult selves, making their own choices is actually even more difficult. And so recently I did something that was kind of hard for me. Uh, late in the fall, I took our two youngest ones uh, out to Turkey Run. Any of you guys been to Turkey Run before? Yeah, at State Park, got some photos of the, the kids out there. We had an absolute blast. And you're like, oh, it looks like, what a great dad. It looks like you're having so much fun. No, normally I would have been stressed out. Because look at those rocks back there. I just know Jet's going to run up one of those. He's going to jump off a 30-foot cliff and be like, Dad, check me out, right? <laughs> and so I'm worrying about things. But I be you begin, as you grow in faith, to pray first and say, God, provide for us. What would it look like to actually join with the adventure that God wants to bring in your life? You see the joy on his face. I think that for many of us as children of God, we miss out on the joy and the adventure of experiencing God in our life because we're so worried and afraid because you, here's the reality. Why do I worry about my kids so much? Because I've had bad stuff happen. You had bad stuff? I had a kid on Christmas cut his head open and we had to take him to the ER and get stitches. I had a kid who fell off the bed and split his face open right between his eyes and we had to get stitches between his eyes. I've been there with the doctor while we're going through all of that. Not a fun experience with a young child. I've been there when we've lost a child, as many of you know, and I won't go into details of his story, but I've been through it. And when you've had bad stuff happen, you got to prevent it from happening again, don't you? Now, look, I think there's wisdom in thoughtful processing to prevent, you know, things that could be prevented from happening, but you can never get away from problems. You could plan everything perfectly in your life and yet there would still be things that don't go the way that you wanted them to go. So how do you not just have peace when things are going well? How do you have peace when things are not? 
And with my kids, what I have to remember there is that it was only when I began to relax and focus on Christ and his peace that we went out and had a blast, a great adventure there in Turkey Run. They have this one place where, you know, you climb down like a 30-foot edifice on ladders. And I had an eight-year-old and I was freaking out, but you know, God's in control. And I didn't just go, hey, Jet, jump off because that'd be dumb. I'd be a bad parent. But being able to relax and set healthy parameters, I believe that God wants you to join with the adventure that he's calling you to in his life. And it's not going to come without some risk and some problems. How do you have peace in the middle of life? That's what I want to discuss together. If you're taking notes, I want to tell you, first of all, that God will keep you in perfect peace if you fix your eyes on him. It said steadfast in the new, uh, the NIV. In the New Living Translation, it says fix your eyes on him. It's kind of indicative of Hebrews chapter 12 when it talks about the author and perfecter of our faith that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to talk this morning about how to experience peace this Christmas season by fixing our eyes steadfastly on Jesus so that we could join in the adventure and joy of knowing him in our lives. If you're taking notes, we're going to experience peace, number one, even in our problems. Peace even in our problems. Uh, Look what it said in Isaiah chapter 26 again in verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The peace comes from a transformation of our mind. You know, Romans chapter 12, it talks about to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But that perfect peace, let's understand it first. In the Hebrew culture, they use the word shalom. It meant wholeness, completeness, fullness of peace. And the shalom of God was something that was so apparent in their life, if you knew God, that when you greeted one another, you didn't say, hey, what's up, guys? You said shalom, peace be with you, right? Like it was saying that we are complete because God is with us. We're whole, we're complete. We have the fullness of peace in our lives, regardless of others or our circumstances or what's even going on in our own lives. Some of us think that we can have peace in our lives if we prevent bad things from happening by planning ahead. And while sometimes that can be true, you're still going to have to learn, no matter what happens, how to experience peace. Peace, uh, Craig Rochelle says it this way, peace isn't found in the absence of problems. True peace is found in the presence of God. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. True peace is found in the presence of God. That you could be in the most tumultuous time of your life and experience the peace of God. I I know I've experienced that, and I'm going to share a little bit more of it later. Man, just things aren't going well, and yet God shows up and gives him his peace, but it won't happen if we don't fix our eyes on him. That means, get this, if your marriage stinks right now, it's okay. You can experience the peace of God even in the middle of that as you pray first and you seek out his wisdom, you can begin to bring healing, joy, adventure, peace again into your marriage. If your kids are struggling in life and it's causing you a lot of problems or your grandkids or they're making poor choices or you're sick and you can't pay your bills, or your job and career aren't going well, or you get laid off, or your financial portfolio isn't working well, or the real estate investment didn't happen the way that you wanted. Whatever it is, your circumstances don't dictate your life. 
you get to choose peace in each of those moments by under fixing your eyes on the presence of God. What would that look like this week in your household, in your workplace, to focus on the shalom of God, his completeness, the Prince of Peace who is with you in your life, to hold steadfast to that. The word steadfast or to fix your eyes, it's, it's the root word is samak, and it means to lean on completely, to fully rest oneself. That you rest your whole life and fix your eyes on Christ, to lean on to him. But the reality is most of us don't do that, right? Like we only think about God when a problem comes up. We fix our eyes on all kinds of other stuff. If, if you go to work and it stresses you out all day and you're thinking about the stress of work and then you come home and you watch CNN or Fox News and then you get on social media and you go to websites and they all cause more stress to look at all the tragedies surrounding around you. And then you complain to one another about the political atmosphere and just wait, we got an election coming next year. So this is gonna be great for our church. Just really look forward to this year, right? Like it, it, we always can find ways to cause division with each other and stress and worry in our life. And if you're fixing your eyes on all the things that stress you out, guess what the result will be? More stress. Doesn't mean you're naive or you pretend put your head in the sand, but if you're not first praying and fixing your eyes on him, you won't be able to withstand the stress that you find yourself in. That's what he's getting at in Isaiah 26, verse four, that the shalom, his peace will be with you when you fix your eyes on him and remain steadfast towards him. By the way, this isn't just true for us as individuals. This is true for churches. You ever find that churches are just as divisive sometimes as uh, our everyday lives? Like when we get to heaven, we always say this, there's no mercy road section of heaven. You know that, right? I mean, it'd be the loud, crazy party side of heaven, but there is no mercy road section of heaven. There's only gonna be those who truly know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, according to what he revealed to us in scripture. And so that's gonna be people from all different ethnicities, nationalities, different languages, different ways of worshiping, different uh, people, even in our community and different churches. And why is it that in the one place we should find unity, we find that local churches are often the least likely to work with one another. That division can even occur in our churches. And I believe whether it's in your individual life or it's in the churches, it's the enemy's plan to steal, kill, and destroy, to prevent unity, to cause division, and get everybody stressed out and blaming each other and accusing one another. Have we seen that in the last few years? Uh, we've decided we're going to take a stand against this, and enough is enough. Uh, we're calling a night of worship and look, it's Christmas season. We need you to RSVP for our Christmas Eve services. If you haven't done that with the new seating, we're not sure. These could fill up fast because we're doing a, a one less service than we normally would. And so thank you for RSVP and right away to help us plan with that. But we, we want to let you know about something happening in January. January 19th, Multiply Indiana, which is about 25 churches from around the state, church planning organization that we helped start that we're getting all those churches and any other churches that want to together for a night of worship and unity and anointing for disciple-making. Uh, we're renting out Clues Hall on Butler University's campus, and we're going to pack that place out. RSVP's open this week to, to save your spot. Just RSVP online. It'll be all over social media, but put that on your calendars. Friday, January 19th, Clues Hall or Butler University. 
We're having a huge night of worship of dozens of churches coming together. And we're going to be praying and fasting out of that for 52 days, asking God to really reach a million people for Christ in the state of Indiana. I, I, I get excited about that because everything else that we do as a church, we don't just want to fill some chairs. We want to make disciples that go out into the community and reach more people for Christ. And we have to stop saying other churches are the problem and there's division within our churches. And if we just did church better, then things would be better. No, we got to work together and fight against what the enemy wants to do, to steal, kill, and destroy and bring division in our churches and in our personal lives. But it's not just peace that we're going to experience uh, in that manner. We also need to experience the peace of God in our relationships. What will it look like to have the shalom of God in your household, in your dating life, in your marriages, in your work relationships? Now, I told you I wanted to use Isaiah 26 as the launching pad, but now I want to get into the New Testament and look where it talks about bringing peace with one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 says, think about this for a second, if you actually did this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, what? Live at peace with the people you like at work. <laughs> Live at peace with everyone. Now, how in the world are you supposed to do that? Look, this is not saying that you shouldn't fight for, against issues of injustice, to stand up for things. Again, this isn't putting your head in the sand and avoiding things going on in our world and culture. You should stand for truth, absolutely. But it is saying the way that we do that, is it with the shalom, the peace, and the wholeness of God? Because we're focusing and fixing our eyes on him and the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives wherever we go? Or is it because we want to win an argument? Be right. Prove people wrong. Man, I've been convicted of this this week. Uh, man, I don't know why. It's, you ever have seasons in your life? The last few years, this, this one's been hard for me. And I'll tell you, uh, I was reminded, the word bless in the passage, it, it's uh, eulageo, and it means good word. And it literally means to speak well, to speak well of, to wish the best blessings for someone. And, and literally, uh, the, the phrase in there, it's not just like to bless them like a little bit, like it's, it's a lot. Like you're supposed to, the Greek language, it's a command, an imperative to do it. And a better way of saying this, I even wrote this down, is to be a continual blessing to those who are a continual problem. How many of you could bless and not persecute to be a, a continual blessing to those in your life who are a continual problem? I don't want to do that, do you? I want to tell them why they are a problem so that somehow when I convict them enough, they will realize they were always the problem and they will begin to make some changes in their life, right? But the reality is, have you ever thought about this? About if Jesus would have gotten uh, offended easily? Like, because I, I get offended and then I want to tell them why I'm right. And I want you to write some of this down. First of all, the devil wants our relationships to be led by accusations and not love. And you can see that all the time in our world, in our churches, in our community. 
We should be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Ephesians chapter four, verse two. We'll put that up there. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I've, I've thought about that, about what that would look like in my life. And man, I, I fail in that all the time. And I wonder how many of you uh, here this morning, you're right there with me and you're like, man, I'm not known for the, the love of Christ the way that I should be in my life. When you have peace in your relationships, you live as a living sacrifice for others, the way that Jesus demonstrated for us, that we're not easily offended because we know that God's presence is with us, and it's the enemy that wants to bring division in our homes, get us angry with one another, yelling at our kids, causing problems in other relationships, in the workplace, seeping out into other people's lives. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus came that we might have the shalom of God, his peace that surpasses our understanding. Think of Jesus got offended easily. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, well, like he's preaching sometimes and one of the disciples actually falls asleep. Wouldn't you be offended? We just studied this story not too long ago. Remember when he heals the, the 10 lepers and only one of the 10 come back to say thank you? Wouldn't you be a little bit offended? If you had to live your life knowing that Judas in three years was going to be the one that causes you to be crucified, wouldn't you be offended along the way? If you knew that Thomas was going to doubt you and yet you were still going to resurrect from the grave and he, he was going to be able to be a part of that resurrection, wouldn't you be just a little hurt and offended? If you told everybody, I'm going to raise in three days and you announce it to everyone at the Last Supper and multiple times and on the morning of the resurrection, the, roll, the rock stone rolls away and you walk out and nobody's standing there, wouldn't you be offended? And yet, Jesus demonstrates how to live as a living sacrifice, which is what Romans 12 actually begins with in verse 1, that we are meant to be a living sacrifice in the way that we live. Love doesn't seek, write this down, love doesn't seek to win the argument. Love seeks to protect the relationship. And man, I've been convicted about that. If you want peace in your relationships, you have to live to protect the relationship first. That's why in Romans 12, 18, it said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace, live with shalom with everyone. It's kind of like in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So if Jesus wasn't easily offended and he chose to protect relationship over being right, even though he knew he was always right, that means that we're supposed to practice that. To seek to protect our relationships, to find peace, not just uh, peace in our own lives, but peace with one another. And see, the third and final point that I want to share, because for some of you today, you're like, okay, I'd love to have peace in my problems and have more peace in my human relationships with each other. But the struggle is that I don't really know how to lean on the Holy Spirit the way you talked about earlier. I don't really know how to experience God that way in my life. And the reality is probably many of us in the room who maybe even grew up around Christianity, we don't actually have peace with God. We don't actually have his shalom with us. I want to tell you the personal nature of God's relationship with you. In, in John chapter 14, 
He's about to go to the cross. It's the Last Supper. They're in the upper room. They've shared communion with one another. The Last Supper, he's redefined what that means. We're going to share in that in a moment. And then he says this in John chapter 14, verse 25. All this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Then he says this, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. He doesn't say I give you a peace. He says I give you my peace that comes from knowing me. That, that if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you surrender your will to his, the Holy Spirit is given to you. You must receive it. And then you could actually have peace no matter what circumstances you're in. It's tried and true for two millennia that, that God is good. His promises are true. His word never fails. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. When you are at your lowest of your lows, uh, Romans 8, and you can't utter a word, Romans 8, 26 6 says, the spirit will groan for you. And no matter what you're facing, it's how I can remember my grandmother, I've shared this before, in her last days on the planet when she couldn't even physically move much and she was in the hospital bed, she's singing songs of worship to God, the overflow, just like in Isaiah 26. He's like, you don't know the unbridled worship that's going to come when you experience the peace of God in a tra uh, traumatic or problematic situation. And she's singing to God in Pennsylvania Dutch because she grew up in Mennonite and in Indiana here. And she, she was singing in an entire another language and listening to my grandmother sing old hymns in Pennsylvania Dutch, which is similar to German, just blew my mind. How could she worship God like that in the midst of that? And I can remember then as I faced the trauma of losing a child, I've shared the story before, so I won't go into detail, but, but that moment of just being angry, angry at God. But I'd done this enough where I'd seen God show up about little things that I didn't really care about, like a play. That I prayed, God, I'm mad at you. I'm hurt. Why did you let this happen? Why did you have us move across the country and plant the church and cause this? But began to connect, pray first. And man, it was a game changer. So I was talking to John when he gave me this bracelet in the lobby. It just, he was talking about it. it's a game changer with your relationship with God. And he began to bring up the story in my mind of John the Baptist, which I was like, that's weird. I'm not talking about him right now. I'm upset of you. Are you listening? Right? And just over and over again, it was really strange. And then I went and I opened up the Bible and I read the story of John the Baptist. He lived and sacrificed everything in his life for the cause of God. And he's rewarded for it by being beheaded and losing his life. And then I read Hebrews chapter 11, where I always remember the hall of faith, these great people who prayed and God showed up and did miraculous, wonderful things. And then I read the end of uh, Hebrews 11, where it talks about, but some people lived destitute and hid in caves, never had any reward. They were sawed in two. They had all kinds of horrible things occur to them, but there were others that didn't get to see the miracles of God this side of heaven. We don't get to choose the outcomes of our prayer. We just get to choose whether we're faithful in the midst of our problems. And as I prayed that, and it reminded me of that, I was able to worship him and praise him on the night of losing a child. I want to tell you, there are some people in the room, you've been through worse than I've been through. But don't let this world take away your peace. 
Don't let this world take away your joy. Don't live every day angry and bitter. Experience the joy of knowing your Savior who created you and redeemed you and loved you and will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you until your very last breath. He's been doing it for centuries. He was with them in the Garden of Eden. They rejected him. He says, I'm gonna, my presence is going to be with you in the Ark of the Covenant. And they carried with him out into battle. He gave them great victories, and yet they still strayed. And so he sent the prophets, guys, listen up. Please come back to me. And they didn't listen. So rather than giving up, he sent his only son, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the story of Christmas to redeem us and meet us right in our problems. And when they announced the coming of his birth, they said, peace on earth. Grace and peace, John 1 says, is what he's going to bring to you that each of you here this morning could experience the peace of God. That's why in John 14, 27, again, it said, peace I leave you with, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. His promise is peace. And peace isn't the absence of problems. Peace is found in the presence of God. And I wonder how many of you out there, if you focus on the presence of God in the room right now, your anger, your bitterness, the things that are stealing your joy and your peace this Christmas season, that you could begin reminded of the Holy One that you get to know because of the work of Jesus crucified on the cross. And as I close out, I just want to share this one last thing. If you're not experienced the joy of Christ, the shalom of God, the wholeness, completeness, the peace in your life, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't act like some other human being is a better person than you or a better Christian than you. That's not what the Bible says. It, it, we, we don't uh, get to experience his peace by willing it better, right? What did, what did it say? It's only when we remain steadfast and fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on him. We don't have a massive problem. We've just, go, we've just stopped focusing on him and what he's doing in our lives. Instead, we're focusing on our problems and our issues. And if I could just give you a little encouragement this Christmas season, whether not all of your loved ones are gonna be here like they have been in the past, we probably have some people that you're the last one in your family. Whether you're here today and you've gone through the worst year of your life, broken relationships, dating life, divorce, lost a job, or whether you're here today and things are going well, in both people groups, we have to choose to remain steadfast and fix our eyes on him. That the prince of peace usurps the prince of this world. The prince of this world, the enemy, the Satan, the Hasatan, wants to steal, kill, and destroy, bring divisions, anger, bitterness, to get you to focus on all the problems. Everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. Why even bother? And the prince of peace says, no, you gotta experience the shalom of God to bring the joy to your marriage again, to bring the joy to your household, to your, your everyday life in the workplace, to school, wherever it is, to say there must be something different than you. Do you realize in the first year of losing a kid, because that one prayer, we led so many people to Christ who were hurting and broken. What is the testimony gonna be when in your worst times, you're able to focus on the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, his presence in your life. Because when you do that, it won't just change your life, it'll be a testimony to others. And it spreads, it spreads. That's how God works. You can't always see it. I talked to a guy in the lobby last service because he read the entire Bible this year. Do you know why he read the entire Bible this year? Because I shared a link, I, not of me, but of Remington, who's right over here. I'm glad you're sitting there. Of Remington 
who had just done this Bible study and read the Bible in the year, and I shared it, and then he read the Bible in the year, and the two of them had never even met. And then they met at church and got to talk about that, man, I read the Bible because of what God used you to do. God is working behind the scenes all the time. We just can't always see it. And if you're here and you're alone and you feel abandoned and you don't have the peace of God this Christmas, I want to say we are taking a stand to say that is not going to be the case in this place, in our lives anymore. We're going to be known for being a people of peace, the shalom of God, the joy of Christ. It's what's missing from so much of American culture. We got ourselves so busy, we miss out on the peace that surpasses understanding and knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you're like, I want peace with God, but I don't have it, all it takes is confessing that, saying, God, I need you. And I can't tell you how he's going to show up, but he's God and he will but it takes us confessing it. So I want to give you the opportunity. Will you pray with me? God, I know I'm giving a passionate plea this morning, Lord. And I, I don't want uh, my emotion to usurp what you're doing in the room right now or online, that there are people right now who if they're honest, they don't fear near you. They feel, feel far from you. They aren't experiencing your peace and shalom this Christmas They've been experiencing anxiety and worry and they're afraid of bad things that can happen. And I'm right there with them sometimes, God. So we call out to you now and we confess that we need you. We confess that we feel alone sometimes and we need the Emmanuel God with us this season. And so we remain steadfast and fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Your Holy Spirit is here in the room with us right now as we commune with you, God. May you transform our way of thinking. If you're here this morning and you would like to either rededicate your life to Christ or surrender your life to Christ or you've grown up Christian and, but you're not experienced the shalom of God, I, I want you to pray this with me. God, on this day, December 3rd, 2023, I not only confess that I need you, I submit to you as Lord. Help me to experience your peace this season, to live with your shalom in my daily life. I believe and receive your free gift of salvation eternally. Help me to focus my eyes on your presence in my life. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen, amen.